Hello, everybody, and welcome to Strapsite's first podcast. We're joined today by the world-famous DJ Boyer and Jared Belson. Uh, Jared Belson is the founder, myself, uh, of Strapsite.com. We've been running it for the last seven or eight years. Uh, it started as NFL Draft Site, and we grew it into NHL, MLB, NBA, MLS, and WNBA. And here we are today uh, with our first podcast. Uh, DJ, tell, tell everyone a little bit about yourself. Well, first off, I think Jared's being way too modest. Uh, he's, I think uh, alien cultures will look back on this show years from now and realize he is the true star. I am but the Ed McMahon to his Johnny Carson. But uh, I am uh, a draft analyst. I've worked with the NFL since the year 2000, uh, concentrating with the NFL draft itself. Of course, with that brings a lot of uh, game study, tape watching, preparation, and as I uh, do with hundreds and hundreds of games throughout the NCA, of course, this does lead to uh, lots of I say watching uh, the pro ranks, things of that nature, but uh, college is probably where about 80 to 85% of my expertise will lie. You tell them about when you're on the show? What was that show again on ESPN? Oh, yes, Two Minute Drill, which was a uh, ESPN game show with uh, Kenny Main. I was on during season one, actually made it to the quarterfinals, won $25,000. Well, 14-6, Uncle Sam got his uh, paws on it before it came to me. Um, been to four Super Bowls. Uh, it's, been a, it's been a great life thus far. And, uh, you know, it's, it, the, uh, there's, there's just changes year in and year out. And uh, the NFL draft, it's just, we've seen it grow just from, you know, the first draft that I covered in the year 2000 until now. It's grown by leaps and bounds. And you go back even another oh, yeah. 10 to 15 years when it was just – you know, in a hotel room in New York City or, or in a hotel lobby, it's just grown into this massive event, and there's really no off-season in the NFL anymore. So uh, it's it's just a constant cyclical process and uh, something that uh, you have to spend 365 days a year trying to come up with uh, who, who's the best prospects out there, making sure your, your mock is accurate, as, as accurate as, as it can be. Yeah. It's a beautiful thing. I uh, when I started when we started NFLDraftSite.com, it was uh, it was just a hobby of mine. There was no one covering it all year round. There was no one who had seven rounds, a seven round mock draft, and uh, we said let's just do it, and it took off and uh, led us to where we are today. So uh, a little bit about the podcast today. What we're going to do is we're going to we're going to talk. DJ is going to Talk about college football. He's going to his Fierce 40. Talk about some of his news and notes from the week. A little bit of Heisman talk. Maybe some of the risers and fallers uh, for next year's NFL draft and even 2016, if he dares. And then I'm going to talk about the NFL. We're going to go through Zach's power rankings. And we're going to talk about how this week might have changed some team needs when it comes to the draft in May. Um, and then after that, we're going to go into the mock, the bread and butter of draftside.com. So, DJ, why don't you start us off? Tell us, uh, tell us about some of the big changes in the Pierce 40 this week. 
Well, first off, you know, th this year's a little bit different because we finally have a uh, football playoff. It is, uh, it is only four teams. I'd like this to be eight to 16 teams, but it is a start. We're glad the NCAA is moving in the right direction. But as far as big changes, uh, Mississippi, I would say, losing their second consecutive game. Uh, we did have them as the upset of the week two weeks ago when they did lose uh, the 10-7 to contest to LSU. And a very heartbreaking uh, loss and, and breaking, I, I guess, would kind of be a pun, unfortunately, for Laquan Treadwell, probably the, from a draft prospect, probably the best uh, Ole Miss player on the roster. Now, he would not be draft eligible until next season. He is a sophomore. But unfortunately, while fumbling the ball at about the two to three yard line, ball was fumbled into the end zone with a little over a minute to play. And unfortunately, uh, Ole Miss fell short, losing that Auburn 35 to 31. Treadwell actually broke his leg on the play. So two yards there, there we see an instance where with two consecutive losses, Ole Miss is probably out of the bowl championship uh, picture. Uh, they've lost their best player, and unfortunately, probably really, really uh, hurt, their, hurt, hurt their chances at, at winning the SEC and, and going a little farther, all, uh, all within a matter of seconds. So it just proves how week in to week out, uh, things can really, really change in just the blink of an eye. College football for you. I bet people are missing the BCF now, right? So many 7-1 teams. It's, it's impossible to pick the uh, next best two, right? Yeah, I mean, uh, of course, we, we only have a couple, a handful of uh, undefeated teams left. Uh, at the top, you will find Mississippi State. You will find Florida State and James Winston, who is 21-0 uh, as a starting quarterback. So, you know, say what you will about James Winston and his off-the-field antics. He's a man who knows how to win. And you can throw one other team into the mix. Unfortunately, Marshall's just a little bit down in the rankings, but they are the other unbeaten team uh, currently right now. And on the Where do you have them? Oh, you have them at 21, huh? Have them at 21, um, and uh, I really didn't think they were – they'll probably get a little more notoriety this week because I really thought that East Carolina was probably the best of the teams outside of the power conferences, and, of course, I'm not including Notre Dame in that being a, an independent. They will be part of the ACC soon, and, you know, they're not really seen as a – being one from uh, outside of a power conference, but uh, with uh, the East Carolina loss to Temple – uh, Marshall should get a little more notoriety now. Fortunately, again, they're they're a little bit too far, I think, to, to make it into the Final Four, but they will rise up. They've got a chance at running the table and probably finishing in the top ten or just outside the top ten if they, they keep this win streak uh, going. The defense has played much better than we thought. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, I, I'd love to see them win it out. Um, you know, unfortunately, without the BCS, they're, they're probably not going to make the BCS bowl. Um, and they're probably not going to make the playoffs because I, I don't think anyone in their right mind is going to say, so right now you have Oregon at number three and Auburn at number four. I don't think anyone's going to say that if Marshall went head-to-head -head with those guys, they'd stand a chance. I'm pretty sure they wouldn't. What, what do you think? Well, that, that's absolutely true, and you, we always got to re remember that sleeping giant on the outside, which is Alabama. I seem to have a little bit lower than some of the major polls. I have, I have a feeling they're, they're going to stay in the top four. Uh, with the release of the the bowl championship teams and, and where they're actually fitting in. I've got them at number seven, but, again, they've got a, a favorable schedule that is remaining. Um, really, if, if anyone would have come into the season saying, hey, uh, with, with just four weeks to go, we're looking at uh, the beginning of November. It's going to be November 8th this Saturday. If, if someone were to say that TCU and Kansas State were, was going to be the marquee matchup, um, 
if you would have taken those odds at Vegas, you would have walked away a very, very rich man. But you're talking about two teams with only one loss, as you alluded to. There's a ton of one-loss teams. TCU, Travoyne Boykin's just been, uh, you know, really playing out of his mind and, and, and playing very well at the quarterback position. Kansas State has just methodically kind of gone about gone about uh, just winning games and flying under the radar and being that Bill Snyder typically coached team and just, you know, just taking care of business. Uh, the winner oh, of this yeah. game has a shot to really kind of propel themselves, I wouldn't say right into the championship picture, but with a, with a couple of these teams, a couple of stumbles, maybe from a, a couple of teams, two, maybe three teams in front of them, we could be looking at the, the possibility that a Big 12 team does sneak in there. And uh, that looked to be something that didn't look to be possible just a couple of weeks ago. But uh, I think the only other possibility here is, uh, you know, Michigan State. Ohio State's going to be a big game. Michigan State right. should win this game. Uh, but but Michigan State again, I think is a team that doesn't get enough credit. They're they're playing pretty sound football. Still one of the better defenses in the league, or not only the league but in the country. Uh, Connor Cook uh, looking uh, is being looked at as a legitimate pro po- prospect. So um, and Michigan State's got you know run the ball. They got balance. Tony Lippett has really um, emerged as a very big go-to receiver. A lot of good people in the secondary with Curtis Drummond and Trey Wayne. This is a team that's loaded with individual talent, and they can play as a team as well. Yeah, and defense and that line, they got a good one there. And, uh, you know, Oregon is still my sleeping giant. It, even though, you know, Stanford, uh, I've, I've said week in and week out how Stanford has really just become a shell of itself, the fact that they do not have the running game that we see. Uh, they don't have that uh, Tyler uh, Gaffney uh, running the ball, taking it 35, uh, 35 carries a game for about 120, 130 yards and just chewing up a bunch of clock, um, throwing it to the tight end and just being very efficient. Um, they, they've really um, beat Oregon down the last two years, and the fact that Oregon, again, it's a little bit of a depleted Stanford team, but the fact that Oregon was able to beat them about 30 points said a lot about Oregon. They've got their offensive line woes kind of solved right now. And really, right. if you were to really ask me right now, who do I think is going to win the national championship, my money is on Oregon. I think that they're, this is the year they're kind of getting over the hump. Marcus Mariota is still my pick to win the Heisman, probably just percentage points behind Dak Prescott right now and what he's done at Mississippi State. But uh, mm-hmm. Marcus Mariota is just the complete package. Uh, well, you know, that brings up the next question. I mean, with Oregon, Auburn, Notre Dame, Michigan State, Ohio State, Alabama, TCU, Kansas State, Baylor, Arizona State, Nebraska. I mean, how do you uh, – those are awesome teams and with only one loss. I mean, if the, if the playoff were today, how do you pick two of those teams to be – you know, obviously Mississippi State and Florida State would be in it. How do you determine? How do you, I mean, for your first 40, how do you even decide who is higher ranked between those? A lot of this really does come down to kind of head-to-head matchups when you're at a point like this, really kind of power wins. And uh, sometimes when you've got uh, an Oregon who beat Michigan State in a very highly publicized game very early in the season, you know, a team like Oregon really has to root for a team like Michigan State to really kind of run the table in the Big Ten to make that make that win look more impressive. Um, the fact mm-hmm. that Kansas State, you, be, you better believe that Auburn is probably rooting for Kansas State uh, this week when they play TCU. The fact that Auburn uh, went into Manhattan, beat Kansas State in a very close game, 20-14, uh, to 14, a victory for Auburn, which could have went either way. Kansas State was in that game. 
but that's the only and the fact that Kansas State only has one loss to a top five team like Auburn, that kind of works in the benefit for both teams right now. Um, the fact that Auburn was able to win that game, they only have one loss, and that was to uh, you know a, a very good uh, uh, Mississippi State team. You've also got uh, the fact that again Kansas State lost to Auburn, and if if they beat TCU. That just looks a lot better for Auburn. You're talking Kansas State, who right now I've got uh, number nine in the Fierce 40. You're probably looking at being just outside the top five, probably sixth or seventh with a, with a victory. Um, so it really comes down to the quality of opponents that you're actually facing. So I think some of those big wins, it's not just about winning your conference. Sometimes those out-of-conference games really uh, play a big in the poll. And, and the fact that uh, – you look at Notre Dame, the very controversial way they lost that game to Florida State. Uh, that's the closest we've seen Florida State come to a loss, and that's the only the only loss that Notre Dame has, even though they, they have not won in the impressive fashion that some of the, these teams have. They've had some very close games. They still took Florida State down to the wire, and there's some that believe that that, that maybe they got jobbed, per se. Uh, I think that that call was the correct call. Unfortunately, it's just not called on a consistent basis, and I think that is what frustrated a lot of people um, about that play. I, I can point to a number of games where plays like that uh, that are very similar are not called. Um, but when, when you take the, the language of the rule book, it indeed is a penalty. It's Again, it's just not called consistently. Mm-hmm. So, so when it comes to the two loss teams, they uh, say all these guys end up losing, and now all of a sudden LSU and Oklahoma are there right at the top. How do you decide between those guys? Well, I, I think right now of the two loss teams, even though they've both come in a row, you got to look at you've got to look at Ole Miss right now. The fact that again they were only a couple of yards from taking the lead from Auburn. Um, they, they lost LSU by just a field goal, a game that was just nip and tuck, 10-7, kind of old-fashioned smash-mouth ball control football there. Uh, again, it's really just going to come down to the quality of opponents. I think Oklahoma's had a really good they, – they've really lost some games that they should have won. Unfortunately, uh, Oklahoma, they were a team that I, I, I thought they would fare a little bit better. I thought Trevor Knight would be a little further along in his, his passing and his progression at this point. The offensive line is loaded with talent, but they've been terribly inconsistent. Uh, they have not uh, – the run blocking has not been there for the Sooners. Uh, they've, they've looked pretty good in pass protection, but there's been large chunks of games where it looks like the, the, the linemen are just not getting it done uh, run blocking and uh, just seem to be sleeping, kind of sleepwalking their way through it. Uh, but as far as other uh, two-loss teams that you would probably uh, have to pay attention to at this point, I think Wisconsin right now, the way that their defense is playing, um, and you've got again, it's it's, it's old-fashioned Wisconsin football. They're they're not doing it throwing the football. You've got Melvin Gordon, who I think with Amir Abdullah, they're going to face off uh, in just a couple of weeks. If this injury to Amir Abdullah is not as as serious as many fear that it is, it is not, uh, and, mm-hmm. and the fact that he gets a week off is a big thing for Nebraska. Uh, Melvin Gordon being one of the top running backs uh, that's available. Um, uh, you know, good offensive line play and just sound defense. It's the way Wisconsin's done it. It doesn't matter if it's Barry Alvarez or Gary Anderson running the show. It, it just seems to be the same old song and dance. But Wisconsin right. has really, really just played very well uh, the last couple of weeks. So sometimes it's not only about the quality of opponents you've beaten, but how you're actually playing at that time. Or even a team like West Virginia. 
They've actually got three losses, but very three very close losses. Uh, they've they've taken every team that they've played right down to the very the, the wire. Probably should have beaten TCU. TCU should probably have two losses. You look back at that team; it's it's a wonder how TCU actually pulled that out. Mm-hmm. I, I agree. I mean, to, they, but you know, in every year, uh, a lot of it takes a lot of skill, takes a lot of hard work, but they all say it takes a lot of luck, and uh, every season. Uh, can be boiled down to a few plays, unfortunately, um, and that's TCU. It's that's one of those teams that just you know, might be having the magic season if they keep pushing away. How's the rest of their schedule look? And 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 also, I mean, you that's a very valid point you bring up. Look at Auburn last year, very very deserving to go into that championship game and play Florida State. Of course, they had the the lead until the last minute of the game. But that, that return against Alabama, good play, but that very rarely happens. Uh, the tip, the miracle play against Georgia, the fact that Auburn even gets to that game, when you really stand back and look at how their season progressed and, and the way they won some of their football games, a lot of luck was involved. A very sound football team, but in many instances, probably a team that has about three losses uh, going into the end of the season. But they were, you know, they played Florida State uh, toe-to-toe in that national championship game. Mm-hmm. So give us an early give us an early look at for your upset of the week next week. You have any idea yet? Who's brewing? Uh, as far as some of the games on the schedule, again, I've already alluded to the fact that uh, uh, to me the the big game uh, that we're going to see on the slate is going to be Kansas State and TCU. Um, I think this is going to go a long way in determining who we're going to see come out of the the Big Twelve. Um, Baylor possibly has a shot to uh, another one-loss team that we haven't really mentioned. They're, they're kind of flying under the radar right now. Uh, but Baylor has a very good shot at you know, possibly still being in the mix here. Um, to me, I, I don't know. Just Kansas State, just uh, to me, I think this is a game that they're probably going to come away and win. Uh, you kind of look at it across the board. There's probably better individual talent uh, with TCU. And the fact that this is at TCU, Kansas State's going to be on the road. Um, just something's telling me that the Wildcats are, are going to find a way to pull this through. I think uh, Jake Waters has been he's done a very good job, probably one of the, the most sound players at quarterback, again, with a person that just does not get a lot of recognition. I like Kansas State in this game. Michigan State, Ohio State being the other – the other big match, I think uh, Michigan State wins this, and it really puts them in the driver's seat for the Big Ten. Um, again, we've the only other teams that are kind of in that upper echelon would be Wisconsin and Nebraska. Nebraska has only lost one game, but that was to Michigan State. Uh, Michigan State really you know, took it to Nebraska and really held Amir Abdullah in check until about the last five to six minutes of that football game. So I think this um, – you don't want to say it's over, but it's essentially – almost in cruise control of the major conferences. It's probably the one that I would say would maybe be locked up more than any um, would be uh, the fact that if Michigan State is able to beat Ohio State, and I believe they will. And who, of course, can, uh, you know, you can't forget Alabama LSU. That over the last five years has probably been uh, the best rivalry that we've seen, not only in the SEC, but across the country. That game is in LSU. LSU, of course, is riding the wave. They did get that big victory against Ole Miss. Um, but I, I I like Alabama in this game. Uh, I think it's really going to come back to quarterback play. Both teams, you know, they've lost, you know, three- and four-year starters in Zach Mettenberger and A.J. McCarron. The big question mark for both of these teams coming into the year was play from the quarterback position. 
both teams, unfortunately, have had to deal with some some losses on the offensive line and some pretty key players actually getting injured. Um, but I, I like Alabama uh, and their defense just a little bit more. I think the secondary has been a little more consistent. Uh, the other game, you know, Oregon, they're a team that I like, but, you know, they're playing Utah. You want to talk about two lost teams. Uh, Utah has been very, very good this year. Uh, they're coming off of a loss against Arizona State where Andy Phillips actually missed a game or missed a field goal in overtime, and he's one of the best kickers at the NCAA level. Uh, they lost the game actually on a Hail Mary earlier this season. So it's not like Utah has, uh, in their losses, they've, they've, been in, they've been in it. And, uh, you know, Oregon, as good as they are, they've, they're one of those teams where sometimes if they get down or they're frustrated, it's a, it takes them a little longer to adjust. So Oregon, I, I think as long as they get up to kind of a quick lead, really kind of um, distance themselves from Utah, and they're able to handle Devontae Booker, the running back for Utah, who I think is uh, is, is on uh, six six 100-yard games in a row, and I, I think has really done a real good job at, at helping that Utes team that's gone back and forth between quarterbacks right now, uh, a team that doesn't have their quarterback uh, situation settled. Utah, you know, if they're able to beat Oregon, it, it's not a big surprise. This might be the, the toughest game that Oregon has left on their schedule. So there are some very, very big games to watch this week. Yeah, it's uh, it's an exciting week for college football. But uh, speaking of speaking of Oregon, we talked about Marcus Mariota before. Um, so he's at the top of your Heisman, and Dak Prescott right below him. Uh, I know that release is coming uh, either tonight or tomorrow. Who else you got on the list? Who who else is uh, who else has any potential to actually overtake? Well, I did talk a little about uh, Melvin Gordon and Amir Abdullah and the fact that in, in uh, these uh, these running backs are actually going to face one another. Because right now they are, uh, they're right behind the quarterbacks. Um, you know, quarterback has predominantly won this award over the last 10 years. I believe there's only been two non-quarterbacks to actually win the award. And it, there's really no difference in this this year. But if uh, a player other than a quarterback uh, is actually able to bring home the award. It's probably the winner of that game and who actually is going to show themselves to, to be just a little bit better. Um, I think Gordon right now probably has the edge to the fact that um, they, they both scored an insane amount of touchdowns. Abdullah is a little bit of a better receiver out of the backfield, but uh, Gordon's got better blockers. Um, yeah. Abdullah's done a good job. hurt, too. That, that might hurt his chances uh, a little bit if he, absolutely. If he the game. They're, they're really um, – they're they're a little bit fearful right now. They've said believe that believe that the that the knee is just an MCL sprain, and that uh, you know the week off could not come at a better time for Nebraska, on the fact that they'll have a week to rest this. Uh, so I, I believe it's and they'll play a game, and then they actually have Wisconsin. But uh, you know, so much of the offense rides on Amir Abdullah. Uh, but what I do enjoy, uh, while um, Melvin Gordon has one of the best offensive lines blocking for him. The best blocking wide receivers, and that's something that goes overlooked in today's game at the NFL level and the NCAA level, might be the Nebraska wide receivers. I do not think there's a team at the NCAA level right now that has wide receivers that block as well as Nebraska. So when you get Amir Abdullah in the open field, it's not just mm-hmm. about having those big offensive linemen out in front of him. He's got some wide receivers that can legitimately throw blocks and really kind of spring him for the big runs. So I think the winner of that game, has got a very good shot at being that, possibly being that third uh, person in in the mix behind a, 
uh, Marcus Mariota or Dak Prescott, Everett Golson, yeah. uh, the fact that, you know, he's put so many big drives together, and, and if Notre Dame is, is able to continue winning, and we didn't even touch upon Notre Dame and Arizona State, another very big game. Arizona State is, has the lead right now in the Pac-12. This game would not be as big for them if they lose because, again, it's not a conference game, and they still kind of control their own destiny in the Pac-12. Um, but an, another one-loss team that people have to uh, really consider, and Golson has just played masterfully and really, uh, you know, six touchdowns this past week against the uh, Navy, and that was three on the ground and three in the air. He's a guy that, you know, it, it was no, uh, really no accident that Notre Dame kind of struggled last year when he was going through his academic troubles and wasn't playing at Notre Dame. So it really just mm-hmm. shows what a good field general can really do for a team. Yeah, and I think if um, let's not forget about Jameis Winston. If he if they continue to win out, and statistically, he uh, he goes on a tear for the next you know few games. There's still a chance. There's still a chance. There's still a chance. I mean, I can throw every stat at you. The fact that Mariota's got better numbers, that Prescott's been a, a more impressive runner, and it's more of a dual threat. When it comes down to it, the one stat that Jameis Winston has that none of these other players have is 21 and 0. That is just astounding when you talk about the parity at the NCAA level and we're talking about one and two lost teams in the mix. This guy hasn't lost in over a year and a half. So right. he's obviously doing something right. He's, you know, yes, he's surrounded by immense talent at Florida State, but there's games that he has, he has had to put the team on his shoulders and get it done by himself, and he's been able to do that. So say what you will about James Winston. The man just knows how to win. And so, you know, when you talk about Jameis Winston and Marcus Mariota, where do you see them? Where do you see them in the draft? I mean, are these guys that can continue to rise? Are they guys that, with a big week, will go to number one or number two, or they have they reached their ceiling at this point? I think a player like Mariota. Um, I feel is probably the safer pick. You do, you have to look more and more at kind of the off-the-field antics, um, and, and especially in the wake of, of Ray Rice and some of the other high-profile cases and, and what we've seen. Marcus, Mar- Marcus Mariota is the safer pick. He's going to be a very good player. A lot of people question, is he that franchise quarterback? Is he that guy? See, we've got the phones ringing here. We've always got stuff uh, happening here. We've got the football stuff happening at all, all times. But, um, yeah, they're calling for your head. They're calling. <laughs> um, you know, is he really that franchise quarterback? Is he a guy that can ultimately lead your team to a championship? Um, right. and, and there's some questions there, but, you know, he's a guy that's technically sound. Um, he, he's, he's a very good runner, but he's not a guy that you think of immediately that, you know, like a Johnny Manziel type. He's, even when he does run, he's keeping his eyes downfield. He's looking to make the big play. Um, he actually does a very good job at sliding, getting out of bounds, avoiding the big hit. Venus Winston, obviously there's a lot of risk involved with taking a player like him, but at the same time, the reward seems to be a bit bigger. Um, people do not question um, whether is he a big-game quarterback, is he a guy that can lead you to a championship. I think if you were to poll a lot of the NFL scouts or GMs out there, many would think you know, which of these two is more apt to win a, a championship it's probably going to be James Winston. The, the reward is much bigger. But you also, you know, it's it's close to a 50% rate of quarterbacks that, quote, bust, that are first-round picks or very high-profile picks. Which quarterback is more likely to bust? That's also going to be James right. Winston. So, yeah, I mean, you know, considering there's only 
Oh, I was just going to say, Marcus Mariota, you surround him with the talent. Maybe he needs a little more around him than a Jameis Winston. Again, he's much safer. But Jameis Winston's a guy who can come in on a team that's, you know, really struggled the year before and, and, and really maybe put three or four te- wins on a team's pocket that they might not have with him at quarterback. Right. And speaking of Carter, about this, about this you know, with the last mock, we had uh, Connor Cook as a number four quarterback behind Brett Hundley. Now, there were reports this week that Connor Cook will, in fact, come back for uh, his senior year. But um, you know, how, how do you see Connor Cook as a prospect? And do you definitely see him as a better prospect than guys like Bryce Petty or definitely worse than Brett Hundley? How do you compare them all? Um, of those three, I would think that Cook is probably the best prospect. But if I were judging Connor Cook ultimately, uh, it's hard to really tell a person to come back to school. But at the same time, I think there's going to be a lot of questions about Connor Cook. He was not even the starting quarterback last year when Michigan State began its magical run um, and you know had such a great year last year. He really only came on and become the starter about the, the fourth or fifth game of the season. He was seeing time by, by about the second or third week and by about the you know, again fourth or fifth game of the season, they ultimately turned the controls over to him. Uh, he was not uh, as highly uh, recruited, d- doesn't seem to have the, I'd say, the pedigree or, or someone that just jumps out at you. But when you look at him mechanically, the skills are, are there. He's kind of fits into that prototypical quarterback meld. Or when you just look into him from a mechanic standpoint, he's very, very sound. Uh, but again, maybe he doesn't have as much of the big game seasoning. He's always had that uh, very good running game behind him. I think some people question whether uh, take away take away that running game if he can ultimately put a team on his shoulders and be a a big threat just throwing the football. But he has made a lot of the players around him better. A player like Tony Lippett, I think he's got more to do with the emergence of Tony Lippett at receiver this season and Tony Lippett just kind of emerging from the shadows. So to me, he has made the people on the field uh, look a little better, but I, th- I think he would benefit from coming back for another year. But, you know, we've, we've heard a lot about players who are going to, uh, you know, I'm going to come back, I'm, I'm going back to school, and then ultimately they do decide to, uh, you know, forego and they'll just jump into the draft. Uh, last year was a little bit different. Mariota. Is probably might be the first quarterback off the board last year if he actually goes. Uh, he was a sophomore, but he was a redshirt. Uh, he was eligible, like uh, Jameis Winston will be this year, uh, like Johnny Manziel was last year. He was eligible. He came back. Red Hunley in the in the same boat. He was a redshirt sophomore. He was eligible. Of the three, if I were to to say who I thought would be the biggest bust, I think it could be Brett Hunley. He. Um, okay. Cool. It just just seems to just seems to me like uh, he really has to have a good plan around him. When things go wrong, they can sometimes look very very bad for Hunley. Um, as far as playing through it or, or really kind of uh, when he's struggling, he really can really be off. But again, we saw a game like this week when he really use, utilizes his legs. Um, there, and that that game against Arizona, he he just uh, they played it to perfection and he he played a masterful game. All right. Well, let's talk about other guys in this draft. I mean, who uh, who after last week has risen the, the most and who's fallen the most? Uh, as far as 
just maybe some other players, maybe not uh, per se just from the quarterback position. Um, uh, some, I, I think some of the linemen, I think uh, you've got to feel a little bit better about um, the interior line this year especially. Um, Trey Jackson was really kind of out of Florida State, was really looked at as one of the uh, – as kind of the runaway winner at guard. Like he was going to be the – maybe the only first-round pick at guard. Um, but he's kind of slipped a little bit. I think he ultimately is still the best guard in, in this draft. But uh, there, there's some very good interior linemen that are available. A player like A.J. Can, even though South Carolina has struggled, um, has shown himself very, very well. Um, that uh, running game for uh, for South Carolina and the fact that he's really been the rock on along that line, um, he's he's gone a, a long way to kind of securing his, his future, possibly uh, looking like a second-round pick now, maybe with uh, some good workouts. He's a guy who could sneak into the first round. I would not be totally surprised. Um, a player like Spencer Drongo, an offensive tackle from Baylor, another example, a guy that um, really not a lot of people thought um, would probably declare after this year. They thought he was a very good prospect, but he needed another year. He's a junior. He needed another year to really work on his footwork and just become a better overall player. But but Drongo has just been lights out, probably the best offensive lineman in the Big 12, and it's, you know, big, big body at about 6'6 six, six to 6'7. Six, just looks the part. He looks. He's got already got an NFL body. He's really done a, a very good job of kind of filling out. Um, and his his lower body strength is, to me, has just jumped off the charts. Uh, he seems to have come a long way in his tenure at Baylor. Uh, you also got to look at a, a player like Cameron Irving, who his stock. He was a guy at, at offensive tackle for Florida State. Looked like um, could have been a first round pick last year. Comes back to school. They've kind of moved him. He's been moving around the line. He's been playing some guard, and I think that has increased his value, the fact that it's been able to showcase his versatility. And, and I think a player like Cameron Irving has made a very good rebound. So I think the linemen have done very well, at, at, and as well in the secondary. Anthony Harris, the safety out of Virginia, is another guy. Unfortunately, Virginia is on a three-game losing streak, but Anthony Harris has really shown, shown himself as possibly being the number two safety. I think Landon Collins and, and the fact that He's probably going to declare, and many people feel um, uh, the safety from Alabama is the best player um, available at safety, and I actually have him as a top-10 pick in the last mock, uh, going at number nine. And it's really kind of a log jam for that number two safety. I think uh, Anthony Harris from Virginia may may be uh, doing a very good job of commending himself as being that number two prospect, um, jumping over some other people, like a Deron Smith from Fresno State, who I think probably would have been thought of as the, the number two prospect at safety going into this year. Mm. Well, it's interesting. I mean, you might have some teams being a little skeptical about taking another Alabama safety in the top ten. Uh, looking at the Mark Barron trade this week, I mean, he was the number seven pick on Alabama. Uh, clear away, best safety in the draft. And uh, I think Tampa Bay is probably regretting that a little bit, only because, you know, Right behind Barron was uh, Luke Poochley. You even say his name. Luke Poochley, um, yeah. He, and I got to admit, sometimes I don't kind of get right. I, I didn't feel as much about Keekley. I thought that he made a lot of tackles, but a lot of them were not as many of them at the line of scrimmage. He, he made a lot of them when players were kind of downfield, a.k.a. the, the London Fletcher effect. But um, he's, he's shown himself very well at the NFL level, and that, that's a valid point. But another guy uh, I'd probably have to bring up would be uh, Nelson Aguilar, the uh, the wide receiver from USC. 
USC for a three-loss team has really shown a lot of offensive balance. Cody Kessler has been a, a fantastic quarterback this season. Uh, mm-hmm. Javoris, a.k.a. Buck Allen, has, has done a great job running the football. I don't think it, enough people talk about him, the patience that he runs with, and, and what a great receiver he is. But Aguilar had a 200-yard receiving uh, a game this past week, and he is one of the more dangerous return men, and I think that's going to help, uh, you know, especially when you look at a guy like Ty Montgomery from Stanford. I think the returnability for those two players really going to help their their value. I think Aguilar now is really being thought of as maybe the, you know, possibly of maybe the third or fourth wide receiver off this board. I still think that Jalen Strong from Arizona State, if he declares as the perfect blend of size at 6'4 and speed, but Aguilar, you know, maybe even the second wide receiver off this board. Uh, he's really shown himself well, even though Jalen Strong and Amari Cooper from Alabama have, have shown themselves to be the class thus far. All right. Well, let's stay on wide receivers for a second. Let's talk about one of the wide receivers who was one of the most coveted receivers coming out of college, uh, coming out of high school, and uh, went to Maryland, and he's still there. But now he's suspended for for a game, and that guy is. Stephon Diggs, how do you feel about him? All the talent in the world, but uh, is he worth the trouble? Ultimately, I think he's worth the trouble. I think it is going to hurt his draft stock. He's he's a guy with definite first-round talent that's probably going to go into the latter stages of round two, maybe even the third round, and it's a real shame. Unfortunately, Maryland has had a few players like that. You know, Darius Hayward Bay maybe coming out of school a little too early and was was a top-ten pick ultimately. Um, I, I think that's a guy that, that really would have benefited from having another year in school. You know, Maryland's had some pretty good wideouts. And you have a player like Torrey Smith who, you know, really kind of took off the NFL level. A lot of people liked his ability but saw him as just a guy who could flat-out fly and wasn't that real polished route runner. Um, he's, I still wouldn't say he's one of the better route runners at the NFL level, but he's, he's been able to show he can make the tough catches. He's become a pretty good blocker as well. He's a... Uh, a very good number two, possibly even a number one uh, receiver on some teams, but uh, a very good complement and, and has shown himself very well. Maryland's had a lot more, and you look at Vernon Davis, unfortunately, you know, the tight end. There's been more receiving talent at Maryland, a, a college not known for throwing the, chucking the ball around or having top main quarterbacks. They've really had a lot of talent at the position. Uh, but Diggs, if you were to just judge on a pure talent standpoint himself, no question he's one of the top three wide receivers, if not probably top ten athletic talents in this whole draft board. Mm-hmm. Well, I agree there. So let's uh, let's talk about the NFL for a second. Um, Zach just released his power rankings this morning uh, prior to the Monday night game that starts in about 15 minutes, which don't worry, everybody, we'll get you off in time for that. But new number one in the power rankings. Um, the New England Patriots. What do you think about that, DJ? Uh, it's a Jekyll and Hyde type team, but every time you seem to count the Patriots out, they come right back, and they're just able to put together a performance that just leaves you scratching your head. This this is a team that, that continues to get it done, and you can't say enough good things about Bill Belichick. He just continues to awe you. Uh, with what he's able to do, the way he's able to play a quarterback like Peyton Manning. And I don't think enough has really been said about the major injuries that New England has faced over the last two to three seasons. Uh, Losing a player like Gerard Mayo, who's really the heart and soul of that defense, 
you know, Vince, Vince Wilfork, um, last year he was, he was down and out for much of the season. You know, they, they just, they're able to reinvent themselves. They're able to get things done. Uh, they're, they're a team that even nobody wants to play them. Nobody wants to play the, the New England Patriots. And, you know, they're one of the better teams on the road. It's not just about this is a mm-hmm. team that, you know, some teams really posture for home field advantage. Doesn't necessarily have to be that way for the for the Patriots. Obviously, they play better at Foxborough. They'd want to be there, but they're a team that can get it done on the road. So, um, me, uh, I don't know if I put that, them. I don't know if I put uh, them number one, but they're they're right up there. Yeah. Well, that Akeem Ayers trade really helped them out. I mean, uh, losing Mayo, as you said, was huge. But getting a guy like Ayers, you, you you know, he had all the talent in the world when he was drafted, and you put him in the right system. Uh, with some good coaching, and, um, you know, you, you could expect big things from in there. Um, you know, next two we had, he had the Cardinals and the Broncos. That makes sense. Okay. But then he bumped a few teams up. Number four and five are the Eagles and Steelers, and that's over the Seahawks. How do you feel about that? Well, the Seahawks are struggling right now. I think a lot of that has to do with some chemistry. Maybe there's a little bit of a Super Bowl hangover there. I um, but, you know, you look at it, Russell William, uh, Russ, Russell Wilson continues to be, um, I think, establishing himself as, as getting into that elite quarterback status. You've got a Marshawn Lynch. You've got a, a very consistent runner. And you need a strong running game late in the season. Uh, the defense, it's been a little bit puzzling. Sometimes there's there's been some very, I'd say, inopportune penalties. Uh, the secondary hasn't been quite as good as advertised. So it's a little bit puzzling how the, the Seahawks are – are where they are right now. Uh, the Eagles, not not as sold on them. Uh, however, it really a lot of it. I, I I don't think that the Eagle fans will have to fret the, the loss of Nick Foles, which has just been released, of course, about the broken collarbone. Mark Sanchez looked very good in the preseason. Uh, he seems to have a very good command of that offense. They did not scale down that playbook one iota when he came into the game. It was very seamless, and, and the thing that I I really saw was they seemed to run the ball better with him actually behind center. And that, uh, as much as you talk about that, that uh, offense being quick strike and putting up points, it's all predicated on the run. And, and I think that's going to be beneficial for the Eagles. And when you've got, it's not just about LaShawn McCoy, when you've got Darren Sproles and Chris Polk, if he's able to stay healthy, has always been a very good a very good guy who I think could be that inside runner that the Eagles need in, in kind of those short yardage situations. Unfortunately, he's been bit by the injury bug the last few years, but a great college back, all-time leading rusher at the University of uh, Washington, who's had some very, very good running backs go through there. On um, the Steelers, they get undrafted, acting it at the right time. Yeah, undrafted, and uh, you know had a shoulder issue, and it really pushed him down, pushed him down the draft board. And there's been some very good running backs out there. Napoleon Kaufman, Bishop Sankey, who was the first running back taken this year. There's been some very good running backs going through Washington. But Pittsburgh, you know, Ben Ben Roethlisberger, we saw his completion percentage going up this season. They seem to be very conservative. It was more of a dink, uh, kind of a a dink and dunk type offense. But now Martavius Bryant, um, inactive for the first six games. They bring him out now. He's had like five or six touchdowns. Uh, Losing Emmanuel Sanders, hasn't been a detrimental loss a lot of people thought. They're using Le'Veon Bell more in the passing game uh, and not just as a as a, a big-time bruising type running back that we've seen Pittsburgh utilize in the past. 
Mm-hmm. And you look at that schedule. I, be, I believe it's the Jets and the Titans, and then they have a uh, they, they get their their buyer. I mean, it just seems to be a very favorable schedule for them. This is a team that a lot of people were writing off about two or three weeks ago. They were calling for Todd Haley, the offensive coordinator. They're calling for his head. There were whispers about uh, is Mike Tomlin got to be worried about his job security? And now you know, Pittsburgh could be the talk of the AFC. I mean, it, we were just talking about the Patriots. A, a Patriot. Uh, Pittsburgh uh, conference championship game, if something happens to the Broncos, is definitely not out of the realm of possibility. They've really kind of risen from the ashes. And to me, they're the team to watch right now that, that's really just kind of taken off like a rocket. Right. You know, staying on, uh, going back to the NFC East for a second, uh, he's got the Cowboys at number seven. I mean, is, is, do you think that's sustainable with Brandon Whedon as their quarterback for the next foreseeable few weeks? I think if Brandon Whedon is able to, they they just got to find the right mix there. You know, they get, getting off to that six and one start. The talent's been there. The fact that they were able to run Demarco Murray, he's been able to stay healthy. It's shown all along. The Cowboys have just not shown over the last few years that they can consistently stay committed to the running game. And with Murray healthy, uh, they were really able to balance that. Maybe score a few more big plays. Uh, Tony Romo seemed to be healthy, but you know, that's all that's changed in the last couple of weeks. So it's a delicate balance. Um, I think that as long as Whedon is able to, you know, just, just move the chains and kind of be efficient, more like a, a Kyle Orton quarterback, I don't think Brandon Whedon is going to come on the field and wow a lot of people with his ability. But he's a guy that can move the chains and can possibly get you some wins. He hasn't looked awful. But it's yeah. really just well, about sustaining drives. He's a guy also that takes a lot of chances, though. That's the difference between him and Kyle Orton. I mean, you look he at does. him in, uh, at Oklahoma State, and he was a gunslinger. He came into Cleveland, and he was trying. He was talking, tossing the ball around like it was uh, candy. I mean, he would have huge, huge games with maybe 300-plus yards, but he'd also have a few interceptions. So Dallas will need to make sure that they keep him under control, keep the running game going with DeMarco Murray, and uh, not ask Brandon Whedon to uh, try to do too much, I think. And I, and I think the other thing that we haven't really even touched upon yet is the fact that you're talking about a team that may have had the worst defense in the NFL last year. So it's not just about scoring points. It's about keeping that offense on the field because, yes, the defense has improved, but well, let's let's be honest here. They're, they're still not a top-flight defense. But uh, So I think the longer you're able to keep the offense on the field – keep that defense off, kind of mask those deficiencies that you have, uh, I think it's going to be beneficial for Dallas because, it, you know, the more three and outs we see or that offense starts to struggle, it keeps that defense on the field longer, which I think is ultimately going to be is the biggest Achilles heel to this team more than a Brandon Whedon or, or losing Tony Romo, maybe even if a DeMarco Murray goes down. You can't keep that defense on, on the field in short spurts. I think they've got athletes that can get it done, but uh, with teams – with, with some long drives, uh, they're going to wear that defense down, and there's a lot of holes there, and they're going to be uh, very susceptible to a lot of big plays, and I think that could ultimately be the downfall. All right. Well, let's go to the bottom real quick because, you know, we're a draft side, and, and we care more about the, the losers than the winners because the losers are the winners when it comes to the draft. I mean, at least that's the hope. Uh, when it comes to Cleveland Browns, that's never the case. But anyway, uh, right now we have – or should I say Zach in his power rankings, has the Raiders, 
Jaguars, Jets, Titans, Bucks as the bottom five in that order, respectively, coming from the top of the 2015 draft. Are those the five teams you see who will get the first five picks? And in what order do you see them potentially picking by the time, uh, you know, January, February? I, I, think, I think that's a good five right there. I, I, you're not going to get a lot of argument from me on those five teams. In that exact order, it seems pretty sound as well. I think the Raiders just need help everywhere. The Jets, um, and the Jets only have one win, and it was against the Raiders, so that, that's going to show you a lot about the way their their season has gone. The shame there is, even though I'm not a Rex Ryan fan, uh, covered the Ravens a lot, uh, and while he was there as a defensive coordinator, he's a guy that kind of rubbed me the wrong way with some of his tactics, but I think that you really can't fault the guy. He really can coach. And I, unfortunately, I think it's going to cost him his job, but I think Rex Ryan will land somewhere. But I think those being the first two players or teams being on the board is a pretty safe bet. And I, I feel the Raiders are probably looking at the top pick. I would say the Buccaneers are probably next. Maybe they move up a little bit uh, just because they are look to be in what what is the NFL's weakest division right now. Uh, You've got uh, that is the division where maybe a 500 record or nine and seven actually gets you into the playoffs. Uh, could could uh, win a division for you. The Saints have they've been up and down. They put together a pretty good performance against the Packers, but they've looked uh, pretty dismal at times. And maybe we're starting to look at Drew Brees being on the decline just a little bit. Uh, it's a little it, it is promising that we're we're seeing Mark Ingram run the ball a little bit better. But again, I think maybe the Bucks get a get a couple more wins just because of that division. I think, and, and for that uh, fact, maybe the only other team I throw in there is the Falcons. Um, uh, and another coach, which I think if you were to ask me which coach is would be the most apt to be fired, uh, right now I'd probably say Mike Smith. If there's another coach that we see get fired before the end of the season, uh, it could be Mike Smith getting his walking papers in Atlanta. You know, they gave that huge contract to Matt Ryan. There, there's definitely some offensive firepower. This is a team that was built to win kind of now. There, there wasn't a big rebuilding process, and they've maybe been the, the biggest disappointment in the NFL, at least the NFC this year. Uh, so I think you can make a, a very good case, uh, I would say, for the Falcons to be there. The Titans, that's a team that I, I really was high on in the preseason. Uh, I thought that they could get by with some of the deficiencies of quarterback, but that does not seem to be the case. It seems like they've given up on Jake Locker. Uh, is Zach Mettenberger the long, the long-term answer there? I think this is more or less an audition for him uh, because we we know that Charlie Whitehurst is not going to be the the long-term answer there either. I'd like to see Bishop Sankey get a little more, of, a little more of a, a shake there and, and see what he can do. Maybe touching the ball more than 15 times a game, see if he can get some 100-yard games under his belt. And I think he's a much better receiver than what he's been able to showcase in that offense thus far. Um, but but I would say the top three right now, I would say. Raiders are picking first, Jets are picking second, and I would say the Buccaneers probably third at this point. Okay, and, and the Jaguars, you think, are would be four over those guys? It's, it's possible. I, I do like what they're doing there. I like us, Bradley. They, they seem to be close. Um, there's probably not a team that we've seen that, that there's playing more young players and more rookies. I, I believe they are the youngest roster in the NFL right now. Uh, from a pure age standpoint, you know, you've got Allen Robinson there, Allen Hearns, uh, Marquise Lee hasn't shown as much thus far, 
Denard Robinson, they seem to have found something there at, at running, you know, running uh, Denard Robinson there. He's got mm-hmm. over 300 yards over the last three weeks. Maybe. And Blake Bortles, uh, I think, was the best quarterback in this past draft. He's thrown some interceptions, but he, again, he hasn't looked awful. I, I, of, of the teams that we're talking about, they, they seem to be the team with the brightest future, but I still think they're a couple of years away. I still think we haven't seen that pure Gus Bradley stamp on this defense yet, but when they get a couple of guys who can really get after the passer, maybe get a shutdown-type corner, this is a team that is, is not going to be just mediocre. Uh, they, they could be very, very good. I like the foundation that they're starting in Jacksonville. I just think it's, it might take a little longer than what the fans want to see, but I think they're going in the right direction. All right, so let's, uh, let's do that order. Um, Oakland Raiders, number one pick. Who are they taking? The, the only thing about this is it's so, it's so hard because they need help anywhere. So right now I'm going to give them the man who, to me, is just the best player in this draft, and that's Leonard Williams. I've said, uh, said from day one all year he's been my number one player. He will have to declare he is a junior. He's that tweener defensive end, defensive tackle type. The NFL started to kind of get toward the heavier bodies, the, those defensive tackles who are about 320, 330, the heavier linebackers. We see things kind of happen in cycles. At the NFL now, it's more about the tweeners, the tight ends you can split out as a wide receiver, the defensive ends that are hybrids that can play as outside linebackers. And we're starting to see this now with the defensive ends, defensive tackles. God, does you move all around? whether it be a J.J. Watt, who's a larger defensive end that you can play inside, or a Gerald McCoy, who's a very good tackle that you can move all around, and it's just maybe playing that 280 to 290 range that is just so fast off the snap. Aaron Donald, who the Rams took, playing at 280 to 285. Uh, Leonard Williams, really in that same mold. Plays defensive tackle most of the time at USC, but, you know, you can move them all around the line. Uh, they got away from the five linemen that they, they used a very – um, one of the few teams that used a 5-2-4 alignment last year, they've kind of gone away from that. They, they kind of go between a 3-4-4-3 base, but Leonard Williams moves all around the line and is just, it's just very active and just very freakishly athletic. I think he's the best player available in this draft. Unfortunately, this week he might be known as, um, for some reasons, might, might not be as good. It looks like he may have ended the uh, – well, he's definitely ended the season, hopefully not the career of uh, Connor Holiday, the uh, the, wide, the uh, record-setting quarterback for Washington State. He was the man that was responsible for the kind of gruesome leg injury we saw there. But I think Leonard Williams is going to be the top pick in this draft. Okay. So we got Leonard Williams to Oakland. That's, that's number two. Who do we got? I don't think the Jets can go quarterback yet. Uh, it, it's possible. Really? It's possible, but um, it, you know maybe they maybe they do make throw a bone toward a Marcus Mariota or toward a uh, uh, to, or toward a Jameis Winston. But you know, offensive tackle is a possibility here. But again, this team they, they've got to do a better job of getting after the quarterback. They're they're built more on defense. I actually have seen Ray right now, who is one of the fastest risers up this board, the linebacker from Missouri. And hats off to Missouri. You've got a player like Shane Ray. You've got a Marcus Golden, people that are very, very good prospects on that line. And you just replaced a Coney Ely and a Michael Sam, uh, you know, the, the player of the year in the SEC last year. And Coney Ely, who was uh, you know, seen by many as a first-round pick, you know, went into the second round. 
Uh, Missouri's just becoming a factory for pass rushers. Um, Shane Ray just has been one of the best at the NCAA level this year, and I, I have him going number two. Just think he's a very good fit in the Jets system. Um, just someone that they probably couldn't pass up. But, again, the Jets could go in an in a array of directions, much like the Raiders. All right. Uh, Tampa Bay, number three. Do they go quarterback here? here? Do they go offensive tackle? Yeah, here, here's, I think, where we start going quarterback. Offensive tackle possibility with Donald Penn, uh, you know, leaving. And they really don't have that, that bookend at, at um, the offensive line. But, you know, Mike Lennon, good quarterback. Is he great and great quarterback? No. To me, he's more of a Gus Farratt. He's a guy that could stay in this league 8 to 12 years. He's a quick sponge. He's, he's good at what he does. But uh, he, he's not a world beater. He's going to give you some good games. Maybe a Ryan Fitzpatrick type. But uh, he's not a long-term solution. So I think uh, Marcus Mariota, just being the safer pick for Tampa Bay here, um, because there there are some pieces there. You've got some you've got some wide receivers there. Mike Evans is, you know, you you've got one of the the best young wide receivers in the NFL. He put up a couple of touchdowns this week. A guy that that can definitely get it done and looks like a future number one. So there's some pieces there. I think Tampa has to solve the rows that the the woes in their running game as well. Uh, but I think Mar- Marcus Mariota would be a very good pick for Tampa Bay, one that would make sense and and get them going in the right direction. All right, let's round out top five. Uh, number four, Jacksonville. Who you got? We've got Cedric Ogbuehi, the offensive tackle from Texas A&M. He is right. the, I'd say he's the consensus number one tackle. I, I don't think there's a true number one, but I, I think if you were to take a, that average out there, I think uh, the beginning of the season, him and Brandon Scherf from Iowa were probably battling to be the, the top tackled on the board. And Texas A&M, you know, we've seen, uh, you know, Jake Matthews. Uh, there's been a couple of very high uh, picks uh, coming out of Texas A&M the last uh, few years. You know, you had, uh, oh, all of a sudden, uh, oh, uh, Jokel. Uh, I just couldn't think of the other uh, Luke Jokel, who uh, actually went to Jacksonville, uh, the name of the other Texas A&M uh, tackle. But it, just uh, a very good, uh, very good college when it comes to uh, producing linemen. Jarvis Harrison, as a matter of fact, a guard. He's, he's probably more of a third-round prospect, but a guy who I think is is rising up the board. He's another very good Texas Stadium lineman as well. Uh, Jacksonville just solidifying that line. Again, they're starting to get things going with the running game. Just took your franchise quarterback. Why not protect him? I, I think it's a, it's a pick that makes a lot of sense for the Jaguars. All right, and we got Tennessee. Well, here's where we have Jameis Winston. Again, Tennessee's Tennessee's got a lot of talent. This is a, a team that it's surprising to see how they are struggling. And, again, you know, Andrew Luck in that division is is good. But, you know, you had Houston, and you have – when you have Houston and Jacksonville in that division, that's not – that's really a division where, you know, everyone's kind of battling for second right now. And, and maybe with enough of those those weaker opponents, you've got four games against them, you know, maybe you, you ride an 8-8 eight and eight or a 9-7 and seven type season and can kind of get into the playoffs. I thought that that's maybe what we would see out of Tennessee this year. Started the, the year on kind of a high note. They, they've kind of taken a uh, taken a step back. Uh, they've, they've not gotten things done with uh, Jake Locker. After, I think, three seasons, it, it's, it's kind of clear that they've, they're, they're going to be looking in another direction. I think that Tennessee's got more of a talented base on their football team where they can take a player like Jameis Winston, take a, a little bit bigger of a chance, take that swing on that home run type uh, 
type quarterback, you know, someone they haven't had since Steve McNair's been at the controls for the Titans and took them to their uh, Super Bowl. Yeah. All right. Well, that's the top five, and we have 128 altogether. We have a <laughs> four-round mock draft on draftside.com, so check it out. Uh, pretty soon you'll see the fifth round coming uh, hopefully in the next few weeks. But uh, check out who's after who's after number five. And DJ, who you got for tonight? Last call, Giants or the Colts? Going to have to take the Colts tonight. Andrew Luck is playing at an MVP-type uh, caliber season right now. Um, you know, I think the it, it's a big game for the Giants. I think they're, that defense, they, they're, uh, again, another team that's kind of been up and down. They're really kind of identity, true identity. And, and really, that Victor Cruz injury was very heartbreaking to see. One of the hardest working players, you know, really kind of fought hard for that uh, contract that he got. It was really kind of a shame to see him go down against Philadelphia the way he did. This is a team that kind of is just looking for an identity overall. And, um, you know, Tom Coughlin seems maybe uh, maybe he doesn't have the nine lives anymore. It seems like year in and year out we're talking about whether Coughlin's going to be around as the coach of the Giants. This could be the swan song. I, I, I think this uh, this Giant team is not uh, – when, when they're right, they're right. They're 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 close. But I think the the Colts just outclassed in the night. Andrew Luck is just on another level, and I think he's a he's a future MVP. He's everything you want in a quarterback. Well, I think uh, we'll see. Everyone enjoy Monday Night Football. Hope you enjoyed the last hour, and we'll see you next week at seven thirty again. Uh, thanks for joining, DJ. Thanks as always, and we'll see you all next week. Absolutely. <laughs>